Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Imagine if in the middle of the night you were awoken by an angel and he had a letter and he said, I've come from the very throne room of the universe. Jesus wrote a letter to you personally and I want you to bring it to PCC. And it's exactly what he wants to say specifically to PCC. That's the study that we're in. We're looking at letters to real churches that really existed uh, in modern day Asia, actually in Turkey. Uh, and they brought out beautifully all that took place and all that was taking place in the city of Pergamum and this fledgling group of people, about 30 to 50, uh, that tried to live out what it meant to live for Jesus and live for the kingdom uh, in that kind of surrounding. Everything they talked about in this uh, sketch were things that were really happening in Pergamum at the time. And so we're going to dig into that today. I'm excited for that. But I want to introduce not just only our speaker, but let you know the role she's going to be playing in the future of PCC. It's really exciting. So Lori Polich was here short. Lori Polich short. Sorry. We go back, gosh, almost 30 years. And I knew her before she was married. Uh, Lori Polich short. um, We go back to First Press Berkeley days. She served alongside, ever heard of a guy named Earl Palmer? Anybody? Uh, she was a like really a legendary youth pastor at First Press Berkeley, and uh, most recently served at uh, Ocean Hills Covenant Church as one of their associate pastors in Santa Barbara. Uh, Lori, uh, since then, is a blogger, an author, a speaker, and travels all over the country, and is putting together has put together a conference called She Grows that we're talking about bringing up here. It's exciting. Um, her books, and you heard about this this summer, Finding Faith in the Dark, uh, When Changing Nothing Changes Everything. They have been really ministering to people uh, all over the country. And what we're excited about is entering into a relationship with Lori where she jumps into the teaching rotation here at PCC. So you're going to be seeing much more of Lori. She'll be coming up uh, quarterly to minister to us and just jumping right into our series and speaking on what we're speaking. Uh, So I'm very excited about that. So she's a wife. She's a mom of a teenager. You really need to be praying for Lori. Um, And she's a good friend. Uh, Frankly, what led us to this step, she came up in July while I was on vacation, and my phone started ringing off the hook. We love her. We love her. Get her here. And so um, the response from this body has been fantastic. She's going to all four services today. Keep her in prayer. But would you please give a huge PCC welcome to Lori Polich Short. Put a hand forward, everybody. Let's pray. God, thank you for Lori, and thank you for um, years of friendship and ministry partnership, and thanks for the way you've allowed ministries to converge where she gets to minister to us uh, on a regular basis. Pray that your hand would be on her, that you would guide her. Speak to us, Lord. We're hungry to hear what you have to say. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm, Amen. Well, Gary mentioned my husband and my son, and if you want to see my son in action, I'm the typical proud mom who just posted a little thing of him in a quartet on Friday night on Instagram and Facebook. So if anyone's on social media, you can catch them there. 
But I am just thrilled to be here. And I have to tell you that when Gary and I were talking about this, and I said, well, I just want to jump into whatever you're doing. If I'm going to do this, I'm, you just tell me what to preach. And he said, okay, so we're in Revelation. And I said, accept Revelation. <laughs> because Revelation, I do not preach. I've never preached in Revelation. I don't get it half the time. I've been in two studies, studied all about it, the beast, the lake of fire, the woman, the dragon, the whole bit. And I've been like, I still don't really get it. And I've always felt about Revelation that it's probably a little bit like Isaiah was in the Old Testament, that when they were hearing about this Messiah with all this imagery, they were going, I don't really get it. But now that we look back on those passages in Isaiah, we all go, oh, of course, of course, there is Jesus. And I think one day we'll look back on Revelation when all of this has happened and we'll say, of course, we knew it was going to happen this way. Now I see. But until then, we're just going to keep guessing. We're going to keep guessing about the beast. First it was Hitler, then it was Stalin, then depending on your political party, it was Obama or Trump. And now my favorite is that it's Amazon. That's the quiet beast that's taking over the world. But someday we're going to know all of these answers. So anyway, as Gary and I continued to talk, I was thrilled to find out that we weren't going to be preaching on the latter half of Revelation, but rather the former part of Revelation, which are the letters to the churches, which I believe have so much to say to us today. More than I even realized as I was reading this letter, and you just saw the sketch about Pergamum. Pergamum was known as a city of confusion. There were different idols on every throne. It was sort of pick your religion and go whatever way you want. And that is the church that John, who authored the book of Revelation, is speaking the words of Jesus to. And uh, he begins by really framing this question, will your beliefs shape the way you see your culture, or will your culture shape the way your beliefs come out? And I think this is such a pertinent question for us today. And I just recently read an illustration that I want to share with you because I thought it was so perfect for what we're going to be talking about today. I actually have the painting, I believe, up on the screen. This is a painting by Francisco Lippi, a beautiful Madonna and child, and it's from the Renaissance era. And this painting hung in the London Art Gallery, and people loved it and praised it for the color and the textures, but critics actually panned this painting. And the reason is because they knew what to look for, and they could see that some of the perspectives of the painting were actually off. And so there was one critic, and his name was Robert Cumming. And Robert Cumming had done some research on this painting, and as he stood before the painting, he thought about it, and he had read that this painting actually was never meant to hang in an art gallery. It had been commissioned to hang in a prayer chapel. And so right there, as he was staring at this painting, Robert Cumming dropped to his knees. And lo and behold, he discovered that all of the perspectives of the painting were perfect from the viewpoint of being on your knees. 
And I thought to myself, what a great illustration to think about our culture today. Are we going to allow our culture to shape our beliefs? Or are we going to let our beliefs shape the way we see our culture? And that is really the question that Jesus addresses this church with. So let's dig in. This is how he starts. He says this, and you can read this right at the beginning. It's uh, Revelation 2, 12 to 17, if you have your pew Bibles. And he says this, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Now, I think that Gary's already said this, but what is really interesting about the way Jesus is addressing these churches is you always hear something about Jesus that is pertinent to the church that he is speaking to. So when Jesus says he has the sharp double-edged sword, the way the people of Pergamum would hear this is that they knew right away this was a sign of authority. The person who held the sword, much like our officers with their guns, the person who held the sword had the, had the authority. Only gladiators and Roman officials held the sword. But what Jesus is doing here is he's actually making a double entendre. Because we know, and some of you will remember this from Bible school way a long time ago, when your Bible teacher used to say to you, swords up. Does anyone remember that? Maybe just me because I'm old. But your sword was your Bible. And they, and you know, if, you, if they were going to quiz you on what verse, they were like, swords up. And Gary remembers this too because he's old too. But um, you would hold your Bible up because we knew that in Scripture, the Bible is actually described as a sword. And I want to give you two verses. I think we have them on the screen. Ephesians six seventeen, which is talking about the armor of God. When Paul is encouraging us to put on the armor of God, he is telling you all the different parts, and he gets to the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. So right there, Paul is making that connection between the sword and the Word of God. Ephesians 4.12 says this, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any, look at this, double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and marrow. And some of you have probably had that experience. I know I have. When you're reading the word and all of a sudden you read something, that's what's so different about the Bible compared to other books. You're reading something and all of a sudden you go, whoa, this is just speaking to me much like that double-edged sword. So when Jesus is saying this, here are the words from someone, the the Lord, Jesus, who has the sharp double-edged sword. He's talking about authority, and he's talking about the word of God. The word of God needs to be our starting point, and that's how Jesus begins this letter. Now, how does he begin? He kind of begins with a yay and a boo. He does this with a lot of the churches, all these letters. They start, you know, I'm going to affirm you for this, and then I got something to tell you about this. And that's how Jesus starts. He says this, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. And we just heard about that in this little sketch, where Satan has his throne, and yet you remain 
true. So Jesus is saying, yay, yay, you are remaining true. Even though there are gods on all these other thrones all over the city, there was this small group of Christians who remain true. And Jesus is affirming them for that. And I would say that he would affirm us here, even this close to San Francisco, even where we are in the Bay Area, that you, wherever you are, Jesus affirms you for holding on to your beliefs in a culture where that belief really isn't the one that's commended. It's kind of like whatever you believe is fine. We live in that culture now. So Jesus is saying yay to that. And then he goes on. He says, but there are some among you who are compelled by various teachings and influences. So this is a little bit of a boo, okay? We got our yay, now we get our boo. Now Jesus is telling us these are the things we need to watch, these little influences. Now in those days, those two primary influences were the food that was being sacrificed to these idols. Some people felt like it was fine to eat that food, but others just felt like, oh, no, 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 you're not supposed to eat that food if it's designated for an idol. The other teaching was having to do with sexual immorality, which isn't anything that we can relate to in our culture today. Sexual immorality was something that was widely practiced. And even after people became Christ followers, they continued on in some of those practices. It was very common for a man to have a wife and a prostitute. And so you can see that it was probably hard for some of those men to realize that now that they had a relationship with Jesus, they were going to have to give that up. And so what happened was they had to make a decision, right? Like we all do. Am I going to adjust what I believe because I want to keep doing these things that my culture is doing? Or am I going to adjust what I do and how I see because of what I believe? And brothers and sisters, I feel like this is the most important question for the church today. Are we going to let the culture be the filter of our beliefs? Or are we going to let our belief be the filter to our culture, the way we see our world, the way we live in our world? So how do we do that? I want to move to that right now. The, just as I was beginning to think some of these practical things that Jesus says. When he says, next line, I will fight against them with what? The sword of my mouth. So what is Jesus recommending? That the way we begin to filter our culture with our beliefs is that we use the word of God. So three things I want to encourage you, church, today. One is read the word. Now, I know that sounds so basic, right? I mean, read the Bible. Wow, I had to come to church to hear that today. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of people that profess Christianity that have never actually picked up the Bible and read it for themselves. They don't know what's in it. Now, maybe you go to church and you hear Gary and others preach on it, and so you just take what Gary tells you about the word, and that's what you believe. And not that you shouldn't do that because he has great perspective, but I can speak for Gary. I know that he wants you to pick up the word too. You need to be face-to-face -to, -face to the word. 
and you need to read it yourselves. That's our freedom in the church, that we get to read this. But let me also say that sometimes it's uncomfortable to read the Word of God. Sometimes you get to a passage or a verse, and if you're like me, it's maybe one of those verses that you want to white out of your Bibles, because you don't like what it's saying, and you don't understand. And so rather than do that, what I'd like to encourage you to do is to go deeper. This is something I originally learned from Earl Palmer when I was serving as the youth pastor on his staff. He taught me to love the Word of God. He always had this way of going to the words. Tell me what the words mean. And we read the Bible in English, most of us. We read it in the language that we know. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. This Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. And so if you really want to know what a verse is saying, or if you're confused about something or bothered by something, one of the best things you can do is dig deeper. Dig deeper. Don't white it out. Don't avoid it. Don't reinterpret it, but find out what the words mean. And I want to share with you one of those verses when I was in seminary at Fuller that really shaped my thinking on this. Because we were in a, a, I was in a class called Women and Men in Ministry, and actually it was Roberta Hessenis that was teaching the class. So I was reading books on both sides of the issue of whether women were supposed to teach and preach, and obviously you know what your church believes, or if they were not supposed to. And there's a lot of churches that are still on the conservative end of this. And frankly, I was not the, the woman that was going to say, you know, I don't care what the Bible says. The Bible's outdated. We just need to have women preach. No, I cared. I wanted to put myself under the word of God. I wanted to know what it was saying. And one of the problem verses was 1 Timothy 2.12, which in my Bible said that Paul said to Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach a man. And I got to tell you, there's people that just go, it says it right here. It says it right here. So we're not supposed to let women do what I'm doing this morning. And one of the gifts that I got was going to the Greek on that verse. Because in the Greek, Paul is speaking in the present participle tense. In the Greek, it's I am not now permitting a woman to teach a man. Because in those days, women weren't allowed in the synagogue they knew nothing about the background of the faith. And now all of a sudden they were Christians with their husbands. And Paul is saying, I'm not now permitting a woman to teach a man. They need to learn in quietness and submission. But I believe, and again, you can come at both sides of this, that at some point there was an openness to women learning and then becoming teachers. And I believe that Paul left that open in the word. But we don't have to abandon the word for our beliefs. Does that make sense? We need to start with the word and dig into it. And so if there's another issue that you're struggling with and you've read a verse and it bothers you, you go deeper. That's what I believe that we're to do. And that's what Jesus is saying. I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth to read the word. Well, then the next thing is to respond. You know, it's interesting. There's a verse in James 1.22 that says, don't just listen to the word and then walk away and not do what it says. I want to tell you what that's like. That's like a person looking in the mirror and then walking away and forgetting what they look like. 
And I think that so often we do that in church. I know I do that in church. I hear something, I'm convicted by something, and then I leave and I walk away. And I think what Jesus is inviting us to do is not just read the word, but to respond to it. If you feel convicted, if you feel like you're reading something and God is speaking to you to do something or not do something, to respond to it. And I want to tell you something. My favorite sermons are when I get to sit there and hear about something that I'm not struggling with. I don't know about you, but I love those sermons because I'm always thinking about all the people that need to hear what the preacher is saying. And those are my favorite sermons because I don't have to be convicted. I can just think about what everybody else needs to hear. But you know what? Jesus only wants us to deal with ourselves. And perhaps that's the third teaching from this passage is to let God be God. The double-edged sword is a weapon that's only to be used on ourselves. It's not to be used on others. Aren't we so quick to judge others? We're actually easier on ourselves than we are others because we tend to rationalize. We look at verses like when the rich man is told to sell everything that he has. We go, well, that doesn't really mean sell everything that he has. Really, Jesus is talking about this, you know, just to make sure that, you know, he's first in your finances. And we, we rationalize verses that bother us. But then when we think about other people that need to hear the Bible, that's when we pull out the sword. Look at this person. Look at that person. And we tend to judge. And we have to leave that to God. And the reason I believe that we leave that to God is because he understands the backstory. We do not know people's backstories. We do not know where they're coming from. We don't know the life that they've had that have led them to some of the decisions that they're making. God knows all of those things. So he's the only one that's qualified to judge. And I believe in today's day and age, there are so many issues that are threatening to divide the church. And what we need to do is simply open the word of God and let everyone deal with the word of God. And you can let God deal with everybody else. You just deal with yourself. I'll just deal with myself. And that is how I believe that we are to use this sword. It's to be a weapon, yes, but only to be used to clear away some of the stuff in our own lives that is keeping us from following Jesus. So read the word, respond to the word, and let God be God. And then what does Jesus say at the end? What is the result of this? He says, here are the things that you will get. For those who have ears to hear, for those who overcome, for those who cling to their faith in the word, two things that you're going to get that Jesus mentions, and I believe it's there in your program. Manna from heaven. What's manna from heaven? You imagine the best food that you've ever had in your life. What's your favorite food? I want you to picture that right now. Maybe some of you are dreaming about that right now. It's that forever. Forever. It's the only satisfaction that lasts. And isn't that so true? Everything the world has to offer is just, you know, temporary. We love it for a while, but eventually it leads to either addiction or, you know, 
overweight or whatever your thing is that you're going to for joy, it never ends well. The only thing that ends well is the manna from heaven. And that is what God gives us with this relationship with Jesus. It's the only fulfillment in life. Manna from heaven is the first. And then the second is, some of you walked in today and you wondered why in the world you're carrying a white stone. And that is what Jesus says in this passage. It's very kind of mysterious. He says, you will have a white stone with a new name written on it that no one will understand except for you. What is this new name? Well, some of you know that Peter was actually the new name that Simon was given. Jesus had a way of doing this. He renamed people. He renamed his disciples. He gave them a new name. He said, Simon, you're not going to be Simon anymore. You're going to be Peter. And Peter is actually, the Greek is Petros, means the rock. You're going to be the rock on which I'm going to build my church. In other words, Peter, you were Simon the fisherman, but now you're Peter the rock. And I want to ask you something today. What is your new name? What is the new identity that God has given you? Maybe for some of you, it was just coming to Christ. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind. I did not see, and now I can see. Maybe some of you came to Christ, and you were a mess. You were addicted, and God freed you from that. So you went from being an addict to being free one day at a time. What is it that God has done for you? What has he reshaped in your life? What is the name that he's given you that nobody knows except you and God? Maybe for some of you, it's what he called you to do. Maybe he's called you into a ministry. I know this church has such a one, I just loved reading about the fostering ministry and the way that you are all reaching out in this community in so many different ways. What is it that God's called you to do? I don't know what that name is, and I don't know what God has given you, but we want to invite you at the last part of the service to think about that. We want to invite you with the markers that I think you have, do you, do you guys get markers? Yes? Nod? If you didn't, there are some back there. To write that new name. And I know these stones are, are really little, so you might not have room to write the whole name, but you can write a little code because it's just between you and God anyway. But we want to give you a chance to do what I am talking about today, which is not just read the word, not just hear this letter from Pergamum, but to respond to it. What is your response? How are you new? How is God speaking to you? Not to everybody around you, but how is God speaking to you? What is he calling you to be in the culture in which he has placed you? How are you going to see your culture differently because of who you are in Christ? So I'm going to close this in prayer, and I want you to think about that. And we're going to sing some songs, and in this time, again, if you did not get a marker, you can just slip your hand up, or if you didn't get a, a rock, a stone as you were coming in, you can slip your hand up. This is just between you and God, and we want to just invite you to respond to the message today this way, so let me pray. Maybe you can just hold your stone in your hand if you have it. 
so God, we thank you for your grace. I know that we live in a confusing culture and sometimes it's hard to know what we believe. And I pray that whatever part of this message that each person needed to hear, I pray they take it. Maybe for some it's just spending that time reading the word. Maybe for others it's that disconnect between reading the word and responding to the word. Or maybe it's a spirit of judgmentalism that we want to put aside and say, God, I just want you to deal with me. I don't need to be thinking about everybody else right now. I just want to love people. That's really our call. So God, whatever it is that each person needs to hear, I pray they heard it. And that now we have an opportunity to write something on a stone that really only you and, and we, us, know. And so I just pray in this moment that you allow us to write something that when we leave this place, we can put this stone somewhere that we can see and remember and respond. And like the Church of Pergamum, to recognize that in the confusion, you are not confused. You are still the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are God. And so God, I just pray that we can continue to live this grand story no matter what culture we're in. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.